So this is just an interview for the newspaper. I just have a couple of questions. Mr. Gray will see you now. What was he like? He was polite, intense, smart, really intimidating. Do you have any interests outside of work? What about you? I'd like to know more about you. There's really not much to know about me. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> I am. Everybody's ready. We're all big, one, ready, happy family, right? All right. Oh, God, after this, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack, and with me now, as always, is Corey. Hello, everyone. And the voice you just heard is... Oh, my God, who is this in our room? Wait, who are you again? Jack, don't you recognize me? It's me, Andrew. The a best co-host you ever had. Andrew. The man who gave birth to you, this podcast. You, you I'll fight you. You have an age <laughs> you have an age today. <laughs> no, everybody, welcome back, Andrew, for this very special episode of The Wages of Cinema. Oh, this is the specialist episode oh, I've ever been in. Very oh. special. Oh, this is very special we got going on for you today. Not since we watched Myra Breckenridge have I been this willing to talk about a movie. <laughs> Myra Breckenridge, episode something. Yeah, episode. We'll we'll mention the doobly doo. Um, no, we we teased this at the end of our last episode, and um, we watched the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy, the Fifty Shades saga. We watched th this saga lasts longer. Oh no, I don't. I want to say longer, but it lasts as long as if you watched The Godfather one and two back to back. Which is kind of weird, considering <laughs> the disparity of quality. Let's, now, let's go back for a minute, because yeah. you and I uh, actually have somewhat so, something of a history with well, Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, that's why I wanted to bring this up, and I wanted to have you back on the podcast about this, because we actually had two episodes, uh, and I might even make this episode kind of like the un unofficial part three, where we had discussions about sex and cinema. Yeah. And this was sparked by Fifty Shades of Grey. We had our first one right around the time that Fifty Shades of Grey came out. By then, it wasn't getting good reviews. And we kind of talked about it as if we had seen it, like putting it down. And Fifty Shades of Grey became our most talked about film that we had never seen. Yeah, well... And, but well, it, that's all changing today. Yeah, exactly. And, and unlike Fifty Shades of Grey, with this episode, we are going to put out a satisfying trilogy. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about a way that we could try to sum up uh, what the relationship is in this movie, and I actually thought I would put in a clip here, um, and I'll actually, um, you know, make a pause here and play it for my esteemed co-hosts. Uh, you might remember this scene from uh, Annie Hall. Jesus, I, I, here, you, you look like a very happy couple. Um, are you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, how, how do you account for it? Oh. Uh... I'm very shallow and empty, and I have no ideas and nothing interesting to say. And I'm exactly the same way. I see. Wow. That's very interesting. So you've managed to work out something, huh? Right. Oh. Well, thanks very much for talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot the part with the plastic vibrating egg. 
Yeah, I, I kind of cut around that. Um, but no, that was a, a bit from Annie Hall that I actually thought of that um, after I saw the second Twilight movie. Uh, as far as, what is this making me think of? And yeah, it's making me think of that scene from Annie Hall where he goes up to the people and says, like, what, what, why are you two together? He's like, well, I'm shallow and he's shallow. Right, they just listen to, to that, but here's the point. Let's go a little back. Uh, for those of you who are, uh, who don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey was a very popular book back in the 2000-somethings. No, it came out around two, well... We have to kind of preface the whole history. No, no, no. What year did it come out? The original publication of this online was 2011. Okay. Uh, later on, it got uh, a physical release in hardcover and then later paperback, and it became a sensation. Yeah, very uh, quickly. And then when books become sensations, they be turn into movies, and it caused a big stir because of its use of S&M and bondage. And not uh, just and not just that, but because E. L. James, aka Snow Queen Ice Dragon, uh, used the Twilight books as the basis of what was basically erotic fan fiction, taking the characters of uh, Bella and Edward and fashioning them into Anastasia Steele and Christian Grey. Right. You watched the filming of Twilight fan fiction. We did. We I'm watched. Kind of, I'm kind of proud of that. What, what do you mean this, you're proud this, of this that? This movie has, has a pedigree of such unlikely proportions that it's kind of a miracle that it exists. I only wish that it was good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Imagine if, like, you know, I don't necessarily have anything against somebody making fan fiction, uh, but it's like anything else. You want You want something to be good, and this is not good. Good this, things it, are good. This is the opposite of good, Although, it's not completely equal in quality through the whole three films. And we'll get into that uh, very shortly. But I also want to caution listeners. Uh, if you're connoisseurs of bad movies like I am, these are not fun bad movies. I was expecting fun bad, but they're incredibly boring. I was expecting fun bad for the third one. Because that was the one I thought... I'd heard was uh, actually it got really over the top to a point where you could really laugh at it. But it doesn't. No. It, it, so, well, the, the, but, the, so let's start with movie number one. Fifty Shades one. of Grey. Although I mean, Objecti that's not well, much, objectively but. the best one. That's like saying your. Uh, that's like saying the three toilets in your house that have bad plumbing. One of them you can kind of flush it after you plunge it a little bit. That's a that's a that's a it's a it's a long time to get to that metaphor. Yeah. But, uh, you have a point. So Fifty Shades of Grey is the story of Anastasia Steele, who one day uh, goes to visit goes to interview this this uh, rich man named uh, not Dorian billionaire Gray. Christian Grey. <laughs> Christian no, Grey. The, the picture of Christian Grey. Oh, there's it. there. I gotta get to my fan fiction. Yeah, but, the, the but fan anyway, fiction of the fan fiction. She goes to visit him uh, to interview him for a college newspaper. He takes a liking to her and tries to bring her into his life of of of, of sadism and bondage. Yeah, as, and, as he very pointedly tells him early on in their relationship, I don't do romance. I fuck. Which... <laughs> Which is technically Actually, accurate. 
you're mixing up two of his quotes. Oh, am I? He says to her, when she asks him, will you make love to me? He says, I don't make love, I fuck. And then in another scene, oh. he says, I don't do romance. I have very singular tastes. Oh, okay. Obviously, with this brilliant dialogue, you want to get it right. No, I, I guess I do. I mean, I want to get this kinky fuckery down just right. <laughs> um, so, let's, so let's focus on the first movie. We'll expand our, our scope as we move on. Right, yeah, we'll, we'll try what, going What do you think is the... What is, do you think is the operative word to describe the experience of Fifty Shades of Grey? It's... It's not... Uh, just in one word? Well, uh, or a phrase. Middling lifetime movie. It's a... It's a... Um, I have a lukewarm reaction to it. I don't hate it because I can tell people are trying, but it never rises above its mediocrity. It just mediocrity kind of stays mediocre. I was thinking mediocrity, too. I thought, I thought mediocre porn on a Hollywood budget. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, they they put some thought into the sex scenes because apparent because that's what we're, people came to see this movie for. Yeah, there, there's a certain savvy going on with Fifty Shades of Grey where it's like this is a film which is notor whose book is notorious for its depictions of bondage and 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 S and M. We're going to put our energy into that. Yeah, we're not going to so much put our energy into the story. Or the adaptation of the script. No. The adaptation of the novel. Well, they might have also recognized, from everything that I've heard, because uh, I haven't read the books, I probably never will We'll the judge books. them, though. Oh, I'll judge them. Uh, screw you, E.L. James. Um, E.L. James is laughing in, in their pile of money. Well, she. well, no, she doesn't really laugh. She goes after people pretty viciously She's on social media. She's actually a super cunt if you read about her. Uh, that's, well, I don't know if I... It's okay that. for her to say that. She's a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but no, what I was about to say, though, is that the books themselves aren't very good. So no. the adaptations, so you know, you can only try to... I know this is an overused expression, but you're kind of polishing a turd. You're kind of, like, trying to do the best that you can with material that already was appealing to a fairly low common denominator that somehow, you know, people do like it, and, you know, maybe it's it hit a, a chord with people who just aren't exposed to regular internet pornography, so this is what will pass for it. But it's... And it's not like it's a new phenomenon. I almost feel like this is calling back to a time back in the 80s when something like Nine and a Half Weeks, which was also a book, got turned into a you know very hot movie with Mickey Rourke and Future and the Fifty Shades of Grey cast member Kim Basinger. Well, that, that's a thing that's been going on for a long time, almost as long as we have it in movies. Like, back in the 50s, this, you had the same sort of thing with, a, with the novels like Peyton Place. Yeah, and then you had uh, Valley of the Dolls, mm. which was the same thing—a sort of a semi-trashy novel, uh, which people read in secret, but then when but then got at, ad, 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 adapted into a movie. I almost feel like I was, want to which apologize. Was a, which itself to, was a sensation. I almost feel like I want to apologize to Jacqueline Suzanne, like after watching something like this. Yeah, I've never read the Fifty Shades books, but I read years ago. I read a very detailed breakdown of 
definitely of the first book, and I think of the second book too, that included long excerpts directly from mm -hmm. the book. And they cited I cited their sources. Yeah, so what would happen was the woman who wrote the review would like quote a big section from the book and then she would respond. So I feel like I've read at least the first book. And oh my god. It is so horrendously written. Yeah. It is so cringe-inducingly terrible. Yeah, but that's what I mean about getting back to the first movie. The, the director, Sam Taylor Johnson, her screenwriter, they were trying to work with what they had to cut out some of the really egregious lines and, you know, try to at least make... Try to find maybe a little bit of humor that within the text that Dakota Johnson could play, which, uh, you know, because there is one amusing sequence in the movie and it's actually pretty well lit the movie shot by avengers it's, it's, cinematographer it's, it's it's somewhat the 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 most stylized uh scene in the it, entire it, film. It, it was a scene where i feel like the director and cinematographer got together and says all right can i have some fun with this yeah and the director's like sure and so they made it like super red and really Noirish almost, and they're it going seems over almost like a Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, play. and they're going over basically the contract because for Anastasia to be with Christian, she has to agree to terms that are you know between the the, the two of them, uh, you know, for, as, as far as like what he can do to her and what she'll terms agree to, which they talk about but never get around to addressing. Not really. I mean, it makes for again for kind of amusing scene if only because. Here is this multi-million-dollar blockbuster, which has brought in lots of other millions of dollars, and it mentions anal fisting and butt plugs yes. and things that twelve, like thirteen-year-old Jack would have been giggling his head off hearing. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a weird thing, and for a moment at the beginning, I thought this film had promise, right? Because of something I brought up to you. During that first scene in the interview. Yeah, when he when she's trying to interview him, but it's not going well, and they have kind of like this slightly sh shifting power dynamic between the two of them, because he at first is standing up, and then sh he sits down, and, you know, there's a thing going on there, which is very it's, subtle. It's a thing where the, the flaws of the film actually work to its advantage for a second. It's like Anastasia Steele's in there. She's going in with her, like, high school quality questions for this interview. And she's completely making no impression as an actress, as a character, nothing. And it's like, you're thinking about this, and you know this is a film about a man who gets involved in a relationship with this very bland woman. Very uninteresting woman. And I'm trying to think, what is this film trying to do to make... It likely that this man is interested in her. Right. And for a moment, I had I felt like the mo movie had a moment of brilliance because I realized if Christian Grey is going to be this dominant character, he sees almost within Anastasia Steele this blank slate. You 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 mentioned the term black blank slate. Quote. Yeah. And that was exactly right. He sees her. She's completely unimpressive, completely unassertive. She's completely cowed by him. She is pathetic. She she's to, she's very to, sorry. She's pathetic to 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 a to a cringing degree. Yeah. And 
and and if he's a man who's dominating, he's going to take it upon himself as a sort of like Pygmalion like challenge. Another thing you brought up, Jack. I, I brought up that term, which also you know you could uh, my fair lady is another right. version. He's going to make it his his goal to turn this shapeless lump of mashed potatoes into something decent. <laughs> and I thought that would be a great way to go about it. That's a excellent idea. So I bought it. I bought the idea. Unfortunately, that's something the movie does not deliver no, but on. And that the series itself does not in deliver In fact, on. later on in the movie, we're led to believe that Christian is attracted to Anastasia because she's so feisty and assertive when she's not. No, no she's, she's a total not. dish rag. I mean, she's, right. she's, assertive in, she's, she's assertive in the sense that, you know, she's not like, you know... I, I would think that maybe if you were seeing this movie in like the ultra strict, like Muslim con like countries that are out there or something, <laughs> and who knows how they would get one of these movies in there. Well, maybe whoa, 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 whoa. She... don't pin this on Muslim countries. They didn't make this movie. No, no, no. <laughs> but I'm using that as trying to think of who would see Anastasia Steele as being really strong and assertive, and it would have to be a woman who is just so much a doormat and so completely powerless. That her moments of fleeting, you you can't do this, Christian, seem like wild, glorious Steinem feminism. Right, exactly. Uh, nowhere in the Western Hemisphere would this woman be considered assertive. But it's a but it's this whole. I, now, now I have a question. It's, that though. it's like the book kind of gives her but, like everyone around her like gives her this credit for being feisty, but it's more like this is something the book gives her. Not anything that we see. She, we see like her character isn't I, feisty. Her delivery isn't feisty. You, you know what the, it is. The writing isn't feisty. No, you know. You know what it's it nothing. is. I think that the filmmakers thought because of Dakota Johnson, she will seem really feisty and assertive. Like, but she doesn't really. No. She's another. You know, again, going back. I hate to do this, but going back to Twilight, like Kristen Stewart, this woman who's kind of a blank slate herself that maybe the audience can kind of project. Like, this is almost like... This is like an Avatar movie. Yeah, that's totally why she's a dish rag. She has no defining characteristics. That way, the audience can project onto her and pretend that they're Anastasia. It's kind of like... Have you ever played a Legend of Zelda game? Yeah. The main character... The character isn't called Link, but Link himself has no characteristics. Yeah. And in fact, he's not called Link in the game. It's whatever you type your name in as in the game. Yeah, because yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be you, and it's supposed to because Link doesn't exist. It's he is an avatar for you. Yeah, but, for but, all the video game nerds, there's your Easter egg. But, for but, the then, but then the problem, though, that that brings up another big problem, which is, you know, we try to watch movies to have kind of empathy or to try to see ourselves in other people's shoes. This is about a rich billionaire cocksucker who, like, <laughs> takes, like, a like a little, like, as Corey used the term, dish rag, out in, like, his plane and on his boat and, you know, basically wowing her with all of his riches. And she just goes for it without any critical thinking skills. Well, the sad thing is, too, Dakota Johnson gives the better of the two performances, and I actually think... Anastasia Steele is probably more of a personality than Christian Grey, which is really sad. Christian because... Grey is interesting because you want to find out more about it. There is but a certain mystery. You to, uh, yeah, you, uh, 
Well, there's yeah, a mystery he had, he had, to... He, he um, promises to open up this world to the audience and to Anastasia. The, this, this bondage world and his red room and his world of wealth and opulence. Uh, but once you get past that, there's nothing else to him. No, there isn't. I mean, it goes back to my Annie Hall line where it's really, they're, they're into each other for completely shallow reasons. Right. And then, uh, for those of you who, uh, who will listen on, this film introduces uh, three tropes which will continuously pop up through the next two films. Yeah. Uh, the first one is the rich person montage. Yeah. Where, where Christian Grey takes Anastasia on some sort of excursion it, uh, which only rich people are capable of doing, like flying in his private helicopter or floating on his yacht or shopping for clothes and things like that. Or going to Paris. Yes. Well, that's that's something else. But, yeah, stuff like that. So there's the rich, rich person montage. It's, it's the equivalent, it just occurred to me, it's kind of like the same thing that the best scene of Spring Breakers parodied, where James Franco is in front of these three uh, chicks, and he's like, look at my shit! Look at my shit! I got these shorts, I got this dark tanning lotion, I got Scarface playing 24 hours a day on my TV. Yeah. There's uh, Also, there is the continuous texting in, uh, uh, between Christian Grey and Anastasia Steele. Yeah, and, where it's like uh, yeah. you'll have somebody typing on their phone, and then the, the text messages will pop up on the right side of the screen, so we can read what they're saying to each other. That happens over and over again in the film, in the three films, which is and pretty then monotonous. There is the ten-minute cycle of conflict and resolution. Yeah, where a problem will come up, usually a small problem, mm -hmm. and sometimes even a big problem, which will then be resolved within the next ten minutes. Further killing any buildup of tension or drama throughout the film. Let me ask you both something. It, do you feel like the first movie didn't have that ten-minute cycle as much as the sequels did? It was. It had a. It had a much. It had an arc that went throughout its entire length. Yeah. Which was much stronger than in the, the two films that came out. I agree. It was. It was about Anastasia Steele trying to form, like, her relationship with Christian Grey and yeah. ultimately rejecting it. And that's why I think that, in a way, this movie is just fundamentally better than the other two films because you might not, you know, we don't like the what happens with these characters and there's a lot of problems as far as boring bits and him being basically kind of like a creepy stalker through a lot of it. Um, and, you know, a lot of these unexplained things with the re with the bondage. But at least there's an arc. Yeah. At least we're yeah. following characters. We have our acts. Sam Taylor Johnson gets that. Whereas James Foley, he's the director of both 2 and 3. I feel like he just didn't care. He, he just, you know. You said it was like... Episodes of a web series stitched together. And not even, not even that. By the third movie, I thought it was like a web comic. So I agree with you that the structure of two and three is diff are different than the structure of one, and they're much worse. One at least has one arc, and we see, you know, Christian and Anastasia. They meet, they fall in lust, they get together, they have a falling out. Yeah. The, and that in itself, that description, 
is is an arc. And you could even say, I would actually even tell our listeners this. If, you know, I'm not recommending the first movie, but if you do watch it, you could watch just that movie and there is absolutely zero reason to watch the other two movies simply because by the end of that first movie, it gives you everything you need to know about these characters. Yeah, I feel like... We don't learn much about Anastasia and Christian in yeah. 2 and 3 that we don't learn in it, 1. It's it's funny because this is just a side thing, Corey, because I remember because we saw... Uh, you, I'm, ready, I'm ready to hear everybody audibly gasp, but uh, until about a month ago, Corey had never seen Godfather Part 2. <laughs> and the, so we actually saw both the, God, the first two Godfathers on the big screen... And I remember you said, actually, when we were watching Godfather 2, that you were kind of wondering with the De Niro stuff, like, why are we even following this? We're not really learning anything about Mio Corleone. That we didn't already know. Do, do you want to apologize a little bit to that movie? No. After all? <laughs> Although, I have to say, even using the word movie to describe both the Godfather Part 2 and Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Freed feels very bizarre. Like I don't, I, I don't think they're the same species of thing. It's a, it's a big universe, Corey. <laughs> On the one hand, you have the greatest actors of your generation with a great filmmaker. On the other hand, you have a piece of commercial Trek. So I would say Fifty Shades of Grey, the first movie, is a mediocre lukewarm tepid but watchable film involving um an actress who can play one note and an actor who is a block of granite which is a shame because i want to mention that i think uh, jamie dornan's shown that he can uh act in other things like i recommend the series called the fall that's on netflix and actually to it, I, to one point that you're saying andrew I do think that Christian Grey's mystery, I feel like Jamie Dorn might have been leaning a little bit into that. Maybe. But he still wasn't able to elevate the material. Like, at least Dakota Johnson, she had a little bit of, like, an inner smirk playing the material. Yeah. Whereas with him, you just got nothing. He just kind of shows up, and he could have... It's also the kind of thing where... This was originally supposed to be Charlie Hunnam as Christian Grey. Um, he, he left the project, maybe for good reasons, who knows. I think he might have left to do Crimson Peak. He, um, maybe he left it to do uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Oh, God! Well, you you mentioned a great... By the way, King Arthur, been... <laughs> Legend of the Sword, Wages of Cinema, review thing. You mentioned someone who would have been a great um, Christian Grey, and that was Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, that wasn't something I first thought of, but it, it suddenly occurred to me after seeing him on uh, Big Little Lies that that type of rich, successful guy who has a lot of charisma but is also has a lot of anger. Yeah, yeah. and I when I first started watching this, I think someone like Tom Hardy... Now, yeah, my I pick know. was Henry Cavill, but I knew that wasn't going to happen. Well, well, your dream <laughs> pick was amazing that you had Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot and Superman and Wonder Woman 
you know, have you know, fucking in like if, a red room. If Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot were were in this film as a starring roles, this would have made enough money to buy the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and I know both Tom Hardy and Alexander Skarsgård are too old, but honestly, the idea that out that Christian Grey is only twenty seven is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's it. It's basic. It's it's totally a fantasy trip. But the thing is, for a fantasy, it has very little that's fantastical in it. If you're yeah. going to go with the fantasy of a 27 year old billionaire who seduces and tries to train this young college age woman who may to or be may not be the submissive, first one, right? Then you've gotta you've gotta you've gotta run with it. You've gotta go. I mean, during the whole thing, I was suggesting you could have done this, you could have done that, you could have done this, you could have had secretary assassins, you could have had tons of stuff. You know, you could have gone, you have to go crazy with this. Because if you're going to start with an unbelievable premise, you better go through an unbelievable story to make it all work. That is so right. If your movie's not going to be realistic, and this movie's not realistic at all, Go for the gold, baby. Exactly. You gotta... This should have been excess. But even the sex scenes, which I want to talk about now, don't go as far as they should have. Now, is this just for the first movie, or is this the series for all in general? Of them, but I okay. want to focus on the Fifty Shades of Grey for now. What did you think of the sex scenes? Were, first of all, big question. Were they sexy? Uh... Occasionally, not not the problem is uh, there was one actually there was one sexy bit in the second movie to me. Um, was it the part with the balls? No, it was the part where he finger bangs her on the elevator, right? Yeah, there's a part <laughs> where they they well, I guess did she have the the balls in her by that point? No, no, all right, fun. yeah. Well, he basically he's in a restaurant with her and. Christian asks her to take off her panties, and he does. And then cut to next scene, they're in an elevator with uh, a few other people, and he just starts to uh, finger bang her from behind, and he tells her, don't come. By the and way, this is an explicit episode of the podcast. I think they know this by now. If they're, if they're listening to this, they we're not going to be church mice talking about this movie. Um, so that's the one that sticks out to you. That one, the thing about that, why that type of scene stuck out to me there's an element of danger to it. There's an element mm-hmm. where there is a bit of unpredictability. Um, the char- the actors actually were really playing into being turned on more. Whereas in a lot of the other scenes, Dakota Johnson was playing it fairly perfunctorily. And Jamie Dornan, to what Corey's point was, how he was bad, I think that he was really bad in those scenes because he was just kind of going through the motions. He was treating it like he was working out. He wasn't feeling... It didn't seem like he was really turned on by her. So when I say occasionally, maybe... I'm trying to think in the first movie, though. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if there was I, one that really turned I me on. I feel like my feeling about the sex scenes in the first movie is kind of like my feeling about the whole movie. I don't think they're especially bad. Like, I didn't cringe when I watched the sex scenes. I didn't think they were laughable or ridiculous, but I didn't think they were especially hot either. The thing that sticks about the sex scenes to me is, I'm going to say right now, they don't seem very sexy. 
despite all the trappings and all the all the props they bring in, it wasn't it, it wasn't especially you, you, you know enjoyable. Yeah. But there were there was one interesting thing that happened where Christian Grey has this riding crop, and he runs it along Anastasia's. She's kneeling and she has her hands up, and he runs it along her arm, and she's very nervous. Mm-hmm. And but she feels it, and he. And he smacks her on the palm of the hand, and he says, did that hurt? And she says, no. And it's like, yeah, see, because the pain is all in your mind. And that was, like, an interesting idea about, about, uh, about the things of, about, like, bondage or, or, or the sort of, or, or S&M, or, or where it's like, it is kind of, it is about your mind. It's, it's, a, a, it's the moment where they go a little Matrix with it. A bit, yes. <laughs> and there are some blue pills in this in the in Fifty Shades. Of there actually so, was at one point. Yes, oddly enough. Uh, but th- they came close to making an interesting point, almost Matrix style, as you said, about uh, about adding some pain to sexual pleasure. But then it kind of dumps that and instead focuses on the relationship between these two characters, which really doesn't exist because there's no chemistry and there's well, no writing. Another problem in the first movie, though, is that the Again, he's very upfront with her. He doesn't be around the bush. This is what I am into. If you're coming in on me with me in this relationship, then you better be ready to be my submissive. And, and, and she spends most of the second half of the movie being like, "Why are you doing this, Christian? Why can't we just, you know, why don't you touch me? Why why do you have to hurt me?" And not only that, but they she gives her an entire list of things he wants to do, and he says, "This is negotiable." Anything you don't want, I won't do. Yeah. Anything you're kind of mildly curious about, you know, just mention it. Whatever's good is good for me as well. And if you ever want to stop, I have these safe words for you. And it's it, and it's not like he's forcing her to do anything. He he's and they're, they're talking very much about this idea of consent, which is what the whole contract is about. But they never go back to the contract. It's it's quite telling that it's never. Signed, no. or re-examined after that I mean, stylized yeah. business meeting scene. I mean, we're led to believe she signs an NDA, but that wasn't yeah. the same as the contract. No, no that's something never, else. She, she never, never signs, signs the, contract. the contract, which which left out the possibility of having a, a night of the opera Marx Brothers style scene where they rip clauses out of the. <laughs> uh, God, but, when can we get that movie? Sunday, yeah, fifty The shape. contract is a very detailed list of sexual activities and she is told the contract introduces something called soft limits and hard limits right where the soft limits are things you're kind of wary of and a little scared of but also but not, possibly curious yeah. about and then that the you hard, haven't done but think might you might try the hard limits are things you will not do under any conditions right so and well and that scene is quite good the whole the thing we've been talking about with with the good lighting and with them talking because it's also a, an uh, an open and honest conversation about a sexual relationship yes and about negotiation and about permission and 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 things like that but it's then actually, that conceit is lost throughout the rest of the film and it never comes back throughout the series it's like it's like if you have a student who for a moment in a paper is accidentally smart yes <laughs> but then the rest of it it's like all of a sudden you have this material that's like a b or b plus 
and the rest of it's C minus or D plus. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder. Little... It almost makes you wonder for a second. Did the student plagiarize this little portion? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it, you're you're kind of close. <laughs> that's a good. Yeah, I don't know if that's a clumsy metaphor, but the safe word comes back in the third movie. Only in the third movie. Yeah. yeah. Throughout the film series, Anastasia, presumably because there are a lot of S and M scenes in this in this film series, and only in the third and final film does she ever does the script. Or the character make use of her of its own safe word. And yet, and, and the funny thing is, though, as you said, they, she never signs the contract. Why would she even need that safe word? Right. I, well, I mean, theoretically, they've talked about this before, and they know this is a safe word. Maybe, but, this, maybe but, this is kind of like how Donald Trump didn't sign that contract with Stormy Daniels. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. I know, we're getting off track. So, All right, uh, so we talked a lot about the first movie. Where does the second movie go? Wait a minute, one more thing about the first movie. All right, all right. That I find very irritating. Okay. Is this idea, again, that we were talking about, which is that Anastasia Steele, she knows what she's getting into, more or less, because we we have to assume she does because of that whole detailed scene with the contract. Yeah, yeah, right. And then when she finally experiences what it's like to be smacked with on the on the bottom with a belt, yeah, that's the last straw for her, and she says you're a and she basically says you're a monster. This is what you want to do to me, and and it's very it's sort of very judgmental scene. I mean, not in just terms of like sex or anything, but it's just like she's like, how dare you? And and she she tries to like have this sort of moral high ground about oh you want to hit people for and you get off on that and that's the moment where and she just has this turn and it comes off as like not just inconsistent but also just just tone deaf and also there are people out there who are into bondage and are very psychologically healthy you know and people and are you know are probably good you know not probably they're good people out there who are into this stuff and if you are looking at this movie as the statement about bondage, you think that people who are into this stuff are creeps. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm using a strong term there, but it, but but it, it paints it as if, I, I well, would... or especially more so in the second movie, it, it, but, it, but in the first one, too, it kind of paints it as, well, you must have some type of damage in you in order to really be into this. And that's where we get into the second movie. Yeah. Fifty Shades Darker. All right. Uh, we could segue yeah. into that. Now. Well, the basic plot of this, Anastasia Steele and, and Christian Grey have broken up. Uh, Christian wants to get back together. Anna is hesitant, but she gets over that within 15 minutes, and they're back together. And uh, after that, they're trying to... What else happens? Oh, yeah, she has a job, and she has a... <laughs> what bag else happens? <laughs> and, uh... Yeah, though, basically, she, she has a job, and then... Little by little, Christian and Anastasia... Well, I shouldn't say little by little. They pretty quickly get back together. Very quickly. Even though she still has some pretty well-suited well, well, well suited, uh, reservations. I don't know what term I'm looking for. And then about. there's a helicopter crash, and then they get, <laughs> they get <laughs> well, engaged. Well, and... well, you're looking at the end of the movie that happens. Right, but it's not like we go from the beginning of the film to the end with any sort of clear path. This movie is so... I think a term you can use for it is, like, it's dumb episodic. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's not one arc really over the course of the movie. There's these. In- well, you, well, you could say that the arc is them being apart and then getting back together again because the beginning is them broken up. The end is them engaged. So, but, but and they're, that by ten minutes in, into the movie, they're back together. I right. don't think that counts. In and movie. it's a change, but it's like a very simple change, and a lot of stuff happens in between that doesn't logically. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, it also... It, There's no it, clear progression it, 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 from broken up to engaged. It plays maybe by, like, the logic of a porno movie in that way, where if this were, like, a real movie where you're really dealing with characters struggling with relationship conflicts and personality conflicts, maybe you would take a little bit more time before they get back together and get hot and heavy. But in this movie you're selling it on them getting hot and heavy together. Right. And if you don't... And if you go a little too much time without having some sort of sex scene, it, you know, in, in the first act of the film, where they're supposed to be taking it slow, yes. then, you know, what are you doing? I mean, you're certainly not delivering the promise of the film, which is more sex, more outrageous things. Yeah. And... I'm yeah. annoyed, too, that this movie's called Fifty Shades Darker, but both the second movie and the third movie are laughably tame oh, from yeah. a like dominance and submission standpoint. And that's when when the next trope, when you begin to realize what the next trope of Fifty Shades of Grey, the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy is, is that Anastasia and Christian will have sex at the slightest provocation, and it'll follow a very similar pattern. Christian Grey will undress Anastasia. He will take off her underwear unbuckle his belt and pull down his pants just enough so that there's a suggestion of genitals and then they uh, they have sex yeah of course we never see his cock in this movie at any point because Although god we forbid do see a ton of dakota johnson's boobs throughout yeah yeah it, it's funny how this is supposed to be a series that is geared more for for women like the books were really that's how they became hits they were gobbled up by primarily middle-aged women Maybe they just read the good parts. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. It's a thick and book. Yeah, but, but, well, but, but these movies are... The, the nudity in them is just the typical appealing to the male gaze. Whereas, you know, if these were really progressive films... You know, maybe you would try to have more of it for well, the female Well, I don't gaze. think it was particularly progressive as a book. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But, <laughs> I, but, but, I don't but, think but, that's part of the But equation. again, but, but, but I'm talking about as an adaptation, as a movie itself. Why you aren't you objectifying the man as much as you're objectifying the woman? I well, I, I, well, I think you should have more of that. Because simply, a lot, there are plenty of people who would find that... Who would find well, that appealing? I mean, I know it's a whole there are other plenty longer of women who want to see who, who want to see more dicks on screen. Yeah. Uh, and there are plenty of men who would like to see more dicks on yeah, screen too. Yeah, I kind of find it. It's a, it's a, it's a double standard. Yeah, you're, you're also yeah you're kind of leaving out the the the, the gay men too. If your movie is supposed to be so shocking, so bold, so taboo breaking, and we never see a dick, sorry, this you're is, not very. This is this is as provocative as a '90s Cinemax porn, like a softcore. Like this is well, what, you'd know better than I would. All right, no more about that. Uh, <laughs> no comment from. I didn't have cable back in the day. I, I would sometimes scroll through. Anyway, my point though is to, to you your point. Scroll through the, television. The, 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 but, but I get. But your point though is valid, which is that 
these sex scenes, the reason why so few of them feel sexy is because they're so perfunctory. The yeah. same kind of ritual happens. Maybe they change the position from missionary to doggy right. sometimes. And then... There was some non-missionary sex. There was There was some, one there moment... There was a little bit of oral sex, although it was very brief. Like, and she it, never and goes was, down on him. She no. does, in the third movie, when oh. they're doing the ice cream. Oh, all right. She does go down on him. I mean, but, but Christian Grey puts his, his, mouth, his mouth in her crotch area a few times throughout the series. But it's always, like, maybe a second or two, and then I feel they, like, they move on to the uh, penetration. Do, do you remember Team America World Police? I never saw it. All right. Well, there was I've a, never seen it either. Well, there was a sex scene involving puppets that I feel like was more risque than the scenes in this movie. Well, right. what I said to you guys um, while we were watching the movie was, I think the second movie and the third movie have these pathetic episodic structures mm -hmm. with these laughably contrived conflicts because yes. A the movie isn't good enough either script wise or acting wise for you to have really good character drama it's not like um, Anastasia and Christian are sitting down and having meaty conversations with each other it's not like they're complex characters so it fails as a character drama and the fact that Christian is a billionaire sucks a lot of the external drama out of things. Because guess what? When you're a billionaire, you don't have a lot of like normal day-to-day -day problems that no. you can't just spend your way out of. And apparently, a lot. Oh, and apparently, a lot of these billionaires have a lot of pull in, in, you know, with how things go. Like in the third film, it gets ridiculous. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question, Corey, as someone who, in this room, has watched a lot of Lifetime movies, and, you know, you, you consider yourself like a connoisseur of good, trashy, pulpy t uh, stories with women and, and power and sex and whatever. Does this even work as, like, a trashy Lifetime movie? No. The second and third movies are worse than even bad Lifetime movies. Yeah, because even, like, I haven't watched a ton of them, but it seems like in those movies, those at least actually have arcs. Like, they act, they don't, even if they get episodic, they at least get back to the whole thing of this woman has this thing against this woman, or this guy is after this woman, or even, this family is in trouble. Even Lifetime movies that are so bad that I stop watching them, which frankly is a good percentage of Lifetime movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, better than the second and third movie here. Well, and well, to, yeah. I also have my rant about how I don't appreciate how in the second and third movie Christian Grey is controlling in I guess a more generically jerky way than a specific like S&M way. Yeah. The the thing too is that there's this for it's lack not, of a it's better not interesting. word for lack of a better word too a Christian Grey is essentially stalking Anastasia Steele. Well no, yeah, he he acts like there was one bit in this might have been the first movie but it seems like a running thing until even after they get married to a, to a point where he'll just appear in places it's like a michael myers thing yes he appears off in the distance like who's that who's that big guy over there and he disappears behind a hedge and then he's gone that's christian gray essentially in the in these films and it's like 
And the problem is that in the second film, especially, is where you begin to realize this. Yeah, and they also yeah, try, that, and they also try to bring out the backstory too, which we well, can... I'll get to the backstory. <laughs> All right, yeah, we will have to get to that but, whole thing. But, but the thing is, it, Christian Grey is, is essentially stalking Anastasia Steele, and this is presented as okay. It's yeah, it's presented as okay, and yet it's like you, and then the the conflicts surrounding that don't really. Uh, if, if this movie had just kept to, you know, Christian Grey is like the villain of this story, then maybe you could have had something. You know, you could have had a thing where Anastasia thinks that she had like this really, you know, very quirky and eccentric. Well, I'm using words quirky and eccentric. Quirky is well. a bit mild. No, well, it's I, a bit get mild. What I get but your meaning. As this guy of mystery with all this red dungeon and all these toys and everything. And then the second movie, she realizes, no, this guy is really fucked up. Right. You could have done something with that. Or bring in one of the characters that they slip in for every ten minutes, like, and I'm not making this name up, Jack Hyde. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Hyde as Anna's boss, who is jealous that she is, you know, dating this billionaire and is suddenly getting all this attention, so he basically sexually harasses her and loses his job. Then you also have Kim Basinger, who I mentioned earlier. She's in this movie as... I know we're jumping ahead to the backstory bit, but she has a history with Christian and is there as basically the stay away from my man type of thing. Yeah. And then, and then you have another character, a third, like, slip in this character into the movie, ex-girlfriend, who is also kind of a stalker and appearing like a horror movie character in bits... And, and the weird thing is, like, she's stalking everybody else, just like Christian Grey is, but she's portrayed as negative stalking. Well, he's just like, I'm a billionaire with unlimited resources. Well, I know your every well, move. Well, well, they make her generic stalking. She's there in, like, the hoodie and dark circles under her eyes and slightly unkempt hair, and One she has a gun. One of the improvements they could have made to the film was turning that character into a vampire. <laughs> ah, yeah, if they went to the full fantasy route, exactly. Uh, actually, that would have been a good twist if she was a vampire and that distinguished herself Wait, I, from the I, I guy who's basically... She was, uh, Christian Grey says in the film, oh, she wanted more and more, more painful stuff, and I didn't want any more. So... Ah! Uh, that's what she said. And then she's like, she went for the ultimate pain yeah. of going, of death, <laughs> of, of, death of, eternal, of living death. And well, now we try to keep her away that's, from us. That's how we do this. We take the fanfic of the vampire story and bring it back into being a much you, better wait vampire minute, wait story. Are you suggesting we make Fifty Shades of Grey fanfic? You're goddamn right. Yes. <laughs> it's the human centipede of fanfic. Yeah. It's, you know, it's am, feeding shit into the next mouth. I this. am. Uh, I am. Uh, I'm behind this. This is this. But, right, anyway. but my, my point is, you have all these characters. Any one of them could have been a decent antagonist in this movie. Right. But she, but the writers, they, they use all three, so they don't have any focus. It has ADD. It's like then you're you, channel surfing between these three plot threads. And then when they, when they raise the specter of causing some drama or, or putting up any sort of conflict, that conflict is usually resolved within ten minutes of it's, its introduction. It's cheap. It's yeah. cheap as hell. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so 
And I felt like the villains were not mustache twirly enough. They were not. I, I think Mr. The, Hyde. The, was... the actor who played Jack Hyde was trying. I'll give him that. Yes. Yeah. He's like if he's I He's kind of the standout performance if, of the series. If I give if I give the if I get Fifty Shades of Darker one star instead of half a star, it's for him. I uh, I would not disagree with you on that. Yeah. Now what now you wanted to talk about the backstory though for Christian Why Grey. Why Christian Grey is so interested in in pun in in sadism and masochism yeah. with all these women. And we find out that Okay, spoiler alert for Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> well, it did Christian come out a year Gray and a half ago. Grew, was born into a family where his mother was a crack addict. She died when he was four. And now all the women that he chooses look like his mother. So he's essentially punishing his mother by through sadomasochism. Which is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> And it's basically saying that child abuse and neglect cause uh, cause an interest in bondage and S and M, which is it's a a very which is kind of an offensive notion. It's irresponsible. It's It's irresponsible. Yeah. It's 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 basically it's paying to the problem is a lot of people who go see this movie don't know any better. A lot of the people are just the general public who maybe don't know about how. People get into bondage in S and M, and they're not people like this. They are healthy adults who go to college and you know raise families, and you know they, they do these things that they're into. Sexual kink should not be something that that is depicted as well. You perversion. Can't, yeah, that's perversion. It'd be one thing if maybe there was another character in the story that that you could see also had bondage and maybe they're all right. So you could have the contrast that shows, all right, Christian Grey is all messed up, but here's this other person's in the bondage. Like maybe Christian Grey has a friend named like Donald Blue. Like let's keep like the color thing going. Why but, not? I mean, I'm talking about going whole hog and, on the fantasy. Call him Donald Blue. <laughs> I don't know. I'm making up. Donnie B. Donnie call B. Him Donnie B for sure. Yeah, you got Donnie B in there, and Donnie B would be the one that you could say, all right, well, all right, he has a bondage friend, and the bondage friend is Maybe a normal guy. Maybe he has a guy. whole bondage harem. He's yeah. Right. I mean, they actually have a scene in the second movie, which I thought was kind of leaning to suggest, um, like... Entering in maybe an eyes wide shut type of thing where it's like a mass no, party. No, it was just a lame party. No, it was just a lame party though. A movie with some <laughs> balls, you know. Hey, James Foley, go look up Stanley Kubrick sometime. He has something to show well, you. Well, maybe maybe E. L. James should look up. There some, you go. Some, some but Stanley but my Kubrick. point. Is, I don't even know what my point was. It was about uh, how Gray's backstory. Yeah, it's offensive and irresponsible. It's the kind of thing that. Is like an excuse. That would be like that would be. Well, no, I'm not gonna say that. That's I'm sorry, you want to say? I think it was. I was more bothered by how boring I found it. I would have actually been fine with an offensive story as long as I was entertained. But you kind of hint at. You said this earlier, Andrew, and this is so true. The only thing Christian Grey has going for him as a character beyond his riches is the aura of mystery. Yeah. And when you puncture the aura of mystery. He is a void. 
She's a black hole of negative charisma on the screen. Yeah, and it's like, there are bits where he's not being dominant. Like, there was one scene, I don't even remember now if it was the second or third movie, because it started to blend together, where Anastasia and Christian have, like, a, a they play pool. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it, you know, if I score more, we go to the red room. If you score more, we do something, I don't know, do something. And he is just... He's sleepwalking through that scene. Yeah. You know, both the actor, but it's also because... <laughs> if you can't build up passion for a scene where you bend a woman over a pool table and have sex with her... Yeah. Then uh, I think so, there's something wrong with your script. It's a shambling, plotless mess that relies very heavily on the chemistry of the leaves, and then the leaves can't deliver. And it all culminates in a helicopter crash near Mount St. Helens, which, again... Is resolved in the next seven minutes. I almost and wanted to find that funny too. Like that seems like a really cheesy bit of something for a movie, but even that kind of just it kind of comes and goes so quickly. Yeah. Well, uh, Christian Grey. Oh, I'm sorry. He's also totally dour and humorless as a character. Yeah. Almost. He makes one <laughs> joke. Yeah. Almost by accident. Like uh, the characters do make a joke once or twice. That one missed the revision process. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you improvised it. Maybe, maybe. Who knows. Uh, now, here's a question. Um, do you think this... Now, I know it's like kind of comparing two turds, but do you think the second movie is worse than the third or the other way around? Uh, the third is worse. I think so, yeah. too. Because the third one is where... Perhaps this is perhaps this is an effect of watching all three movies back to back to Don't right. do it. Don't do it. No, no. It's it's like running a marathon. If you're into that, then you can do this. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, a marathon's a good way to put it, though, in like a true sense. It's like if you're running a marathon, at first you have all the energy and you're really into it. Then midway through, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm having trouble doing this, but I'll, I'll try to keep going. Near the end, but the third one is where I get bored, and that's and it's also the one that's it follows the same sort of structure as the second one. It become you you've you've memorized the pattern by then. Sex scene, meaningless scene. Sex scene, mm -hmm. meaningless scene. Sex scene, somewhat exciting scene that doesn't make any sense, and then sex scene. And again, Cinemax porn I've watched has better versions of that. They have better sex, and they have better hammy actors In a that. way, it kind of works like porn does. You can fast-forward to the interesting parts. Yeah. And that, if you want to just do that, and, you know, it's a bit... The the soup's a little thin, but if you wanted to, you can get some enjoyment out Christian of Christian Grey might as well be the pizza delivery man. Right. <laughs> um... I think that Corey hit on something. You hit on something, though, when we were watching the third movie that I think is so, so true. You made a comparison that lit the hairs on the back of my neck up. Um, you compared this to Sex in the City 2, yeah. the movie, which I kind of think By is... By the way, our next viewing experience, we're watching both Sex in the City films back no. to back. You can go watch that, Andrew, do a podcast. I'll go and do something else. <laughs> no, Sex in the City 2 is completely hot garbage. That movie, it, I don't know if I would say... It's hard to say which is worse, but they both have the similar problem, as you point out, which is this movie is, like, bathing in ridiculous visions of capitalism 
with like these white people <laughs> do, doing all of this crap going on like on their private jets to exotic locations yeah. going away buying mansions spending like huge chunks of time like there's a bit in this movie where Christian wants to make up to Anastasia at one point because she decided oh my god I went out with my friend and he got jealous so he makes up to her by surprising her with all of her friends from work going on a plane away for a weekend and it's that same type of thing in Sex and the Sea too, where you're just watching tedium I made another comparison yeah. to 15 it's and like the Paris. cast went on a vacation and decided to film a movie while they were at exactly. it it's the Adam Sandler effect it's watching boring cardboard cutouts vacation and we're supposed to watch this yeah. what's the cinematic value of watching it, so these... when, yeah, so when finally an absurd action scene comes up, you're just like, okay, this is dumb, but at least it's something. Well, yeah, well, near the end of the movie, I, I, well, I almost want to say near the, 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 the third act, well, it's hard to call them acts in this movie. <laughs> um, that's giving this movie too much credit. But near the end, the last section of the movie has a little bit of promise, but even that is just so dumb that you feel dumber watching it. it. It gets into a point where you just feel like E.L. James was, you know, quickly scribbling to try to finish, like, whatever she was doing with the story. And it involves the return of Jack Hyde and a kidnapping plot and millions of dollars. And I don't even want to go into more of the details, but... Uh, well, yeah, that's you hit it on the head. It's just yeah, uh, if you if you went into the details, it would be ridiculous well, to recount. Well, that would be its own separate podcast, like breaking down. I also the feel minutia. like detailing it would make it sound like it was more fun to watch. Than no, it and it's was. not. And I wish it was more fun. There's potential here. You brought this up when we were watching the movies, Andrew. There is potential here. That you suddenly get introduced to a certain well, element. Well, well, let's let's be honest here. There's potential for this film in my brain. Yeah. You guys didn't see the potential. My sort I... of my sort of po uh, podcasting doofus brain said, "Wait a minute, there's something in here." But that's the problem: is that your level of imagination, and well, obviously you're a more creative writer than E.L. James, but this. <laughs> <laughs> No, but no, but your imagination is jumping to the kind of points that this movie should just be eating up, and it's not. It's it's just giving the audience the lowest common shit, and because they think, well, the audience came in droves to the first movie, so let's just give them more of that. Talking about potential, I mean, you, well, you may be in asking, the, in the you may be asking me, like, what's the potential in Fifty Shades of Grey? Even to it's just like, be a bad fun, even to be just a fun there bad There is fun. plenty of erotic potential in the idea of a controlling partner who is into S&M, who is very wealthy and has a lot of power. Yeah. There's a lot of potential in that. I, you can, And if you yeah. stick to that, and if you're really dedicated to telling an erotic story with some conflict and some uh, and some danger in it, you can do that. There is more than enough yeah. to really make it work. The problem is the film and the writers aren't dedicated to that idea. They they kind of just let things lie, and a lot of that potential goes on mind. 
And I'm not gonna throw I'm not gonna throw E.L. James work back in her face because you know she wrote this she put out three books she's successful and whether or not uh, and whether or not she's a good writer she's successful enough to have gotten these films made into gotten these books made into movies. Meritocracy is a sham. Uh, <laughs> you heard here but first, but, but even if, it, if if her books are garbage, it's. They're successful because other people were willing to buy the garbage. All right. And well, so if you can kind yeah. of tap into that, that's fine. And she's working with ideas that are that are potent. She just doesn't use them to... The, to, to uh, she wouldn't have used them the way I would have used them. Yeah. But still, but, but what I could have done was a far cry than what she had done. It, it's, so it's like apples and oranges. It's not the kind of bad movie that I... You know, like we recently rewatched uh, The Boy... Yeah. For example, we showed that to you for the first time. I never time. thought I'd see The Boy, but I did. Yeah, and, it, I mean, that movie's pretty dumb, but it actually, it, it kind of goes for the dumbness. It, it tries, and... It, it tries it, for the first two-thirds. <laughs> the, the last third is what makes that The last that third movie. is like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, last, the last third goes full dumb. But this movie... The, especially movies two and three, because I, I, I'll try to give the first one a little pass. It's just, eh. It's not for me. It's not like one of the worst movies I've ever seen. I just, it's it's not good. The second and third movies, though, are frustrating bad. And that's my least favorite kind of movie. When you have filmmakers who clearly have the money and even talent... You know, James Foley made these movies. James Foley fucking directed Glengarry Glenn Ross. You don't get the Cadillac. You don't get the steak knives. You're fired. Right. <laughs> and That's... no coffee for you ever again. <laughs> yeah, coffee's for closers, man. You can close this. <laughs> good, good, good point. All right. But I don't know. What, what, are the, what, what are some final thoughts about these movies? Because we've been talking about right. them for Yeah, a while. we have to wrap this up. Final thoughts... The first movie, eh, well, it's all right. Well, you saw, actually, it's interesting, let me ask you one last thing, Corey, because you saw the first movie in the theater, you Thank kind you. of went on your own without me, because that's what a lot of wives did uh, in I'll have you know, I was not planning to see the first movie in the theater, but then, one day after work, the Port Authority was so foobar that I decided to go to see a movie at the AMC Empire, which is across it's the street. Fine. So, I had actually seen the first movie before today, and... Did your opinion change a bit at all? Not dramatically. I feel like the first movie, it's not good, but it's not that bad. Yeah. It's mildly watchable. Yeah. And the second and third movies are abominations. They're, they're just kind of middling. Yeah, and, uh, and I didn't go... I, I actually don't know if I went into them... Well, I don't know if I expect them to be very good, honestly. But I was hoping for something else. I expected them else. to be much there, pulpier. There was no spectacle. No. Uh, oh, that's that's the word. There's Thank no you. spectacle of failure. There's no spectacle of success. It is... It's middling it spectacles. Exists. It exists. It's a thing. Like it's sand. a product. It's, it's sand. It's, Sand. I don't like sand. It's don't, very coarse. <laughs> Alright, Attack of the Clones had spectacle. Yeah, there you go. Completely Spe successful. I can't believe I'm saying this. Attack of the Clones is better than Fifty Shades 2 and 3. So, and I want to emphasize, yeah, the second and third movies, 
they're incredibly boring and they're incredibly frustrating. And I was hoping they would be more like old bodice ripper romance novels, which people don't really write bodice rippers anymore. Because no one knows what a bodice is. (laughs) But in the 70s and 80s, during the heyday of the the bodice ripper romance novel, these books did not mess around. So, like, the male lead, he would rape the female lead. He would, like, beat the tar out of her. And obviously, and that might be a little dated for 2015, but, but, but at least go... it was it was making a statement. Not a particularly profound one, but this is what... But, like, if you're going to do get into this, you're going to go all the way. Yeah, well... And how fast is it? A lot of, yeah, a lot of these I love how strippers... I just complained about <laughs> child abuse and S&M, and now I'm just like, oh, wife beating, whatever. <laughs> Well, a lot of these bodice rippers really committed to the idea that you have a relationship full of sexual attraction, but also full of real animosity and real incompatibility, and they committed to that. And most of these books have historical settings, so it's kind of like, in the 19th century, your man would probably beat you. Your man would probably rape you. Your man, he would also be psychotically protective, and he would, like, demonstrate his ownership of you that way. But I was disappointed by what weak tea this movie is, because Anastasia and Christian, they certainly don't have a good and healthy relationship, but I didn't find their dysfunction dramatic enough to be entertaining. Here's my final thought on uh, especially movies two and three. This is like I had the experience once again of watching Warcraft. <laughs> uh, where, at least, actually, no, that's not fair because Duncan Jones, at least, I could uh, had some passion for this. It didn't show in the final product, but actually, I'll let you go, Duncan Jones, on, on Warcraft. Um, but it's. I think as a pop culture phenomenon, too, I think that this is not going to be remembered in the same way that Twilight was. I think it'll be remembered the way that the Peyton Place movie is remembered. It Was Peyton Place a movie? I thought yeah, they a made show. it into a movie. Really? I thought that was a Peyton show. Peyton Place was a book that got adapted into a movie. Mm-hmm. Same as Valley of the Dolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was also Same as show. Basic Instinct. Yeah. Uh, this is this exists within the same sort of phenomenal framework. It's like it's but it, but it's so semi, weird. It's like trashy book becomes popular with the masses. You adapt it. It's kind of crazy though because I think that again th- this franchise made like a billion dollars worldwide. I don't even mean the book the books. I mean the movies. Right. And I don't think that people talk about them though like they talk about it Harry made its Potter money and it and, went. Yeah, it just came it in. It wasn't and meant to stay. It's like sand. Yeah. So, th- you heard here first, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey's movies, sand. I agree. They'll fall through the sands of time, as Aristotle would say. Um, Alright, so I guess uh, we've talked exhaustively about Fifty Shades of Grey and the other sequels. If you've seen these movies and have any thoughts, please send us an email to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. And uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter if you'd like to leave us a message there as well. And uh, thanks so much for coming back, Andrew. Well, my I pleasure, Jack. It. This was a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, it would be. And I still owe you a, I, I still owe you a What the Devil Is movie, so we'll take care of that later. You hurry here, folks. We we will bring uh, we will make up our What the Devil Is 
that uh, series. We'll finish that off because we never did finish it. Uh, but uh, yeah, and you know, it's always cool to have you on. I know you're not a regular co-host anymore, but, but you I'll know, always have a special place in your heart. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, and we'll come back next time and talk more movies. Uh, until then, I'm Jack. I'm Corey. And I'm Andrew. And the wages of cinema is death. Hugs. Have a good night. Good night. Hannah Gray's office. We wanted to welcome the new fiction editor. I bought it for us. I should have asked you first. I love it. Oh, my God. Christian. This is Gio Matteo, the architect. This location is perfect. I'm going to build you a fabulous house. Please stop speaking to my husband as if I weren't here. Anna. <laughs> you may call me Mrs. Gray. We use a large vibrating egg. <laughs>